Welcome to Gu Dao Jingxing, Walking the Timeless Way, a podcast that digs deeply into Taoism, uncovering its ancient wisdom, and thinking about how to apply it to today's chaotic world. I'm Ian Felton, a practicing psychotherapist, and I'm joined by my co-host, executive coach David Wong. Morning, David. Good morning, Ian. Good to see you. How how did you enjoy your your Lunar New Year? Uh, well, uh, eating is a big part of it. So we had some actually we had some friends uh, uh, who uh, came from out of town, and uh, so we got together and uh, enjoyed you know some Chinese food. And uh, the other thing is. Um, to take advantage of the technology and connect with friends uh, in China. Obviously, sure. they had a much more festive, uh, you know, like atmosphere over there. So mm -hmm. we had uh, like, uh, you know, WeChat calls and, you know, got together <laughs> virtually. Yeah, that sounds sounds great. Yeah, when you're talking about it's much more festive in China, just remembering like, all of the just giant strings of firecrackers that would, I mean, wrapped around everything, wrapped around trees, going down the street, and you would right. light off, right. light them off, and just you know the firecrackers were just endless for hours and hours and right. hours. Were you there? Were you there uh, during the Spring Festival or the Chinese New Year? Yeah, yeah, and in twenty fourteen, I was there for Spring Festival in twenty fourteen. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it felt like a lot like, um, I mean, in terms of the importance of the holiday, I think uh, it's like uh, Christmas here. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the maybe the big difference is um, on Christmas Day uh, in here, it, it mm -hmm. was quiet. <laughs> it was quiet, right? Everybody got home, like got home and get together with their family and uh, enjoy the you know christmas dinner i think in china is like on the streets there's just so many i mean there's many lots of people in the first place mm -hmm. yeah not to be too cynical but in america i think there's only that kind of activity now when there's protests in in america oh yeah 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 i see i see uh well you know like um i think culturally you know, I think the um, during the Chinese New Year, as you know, with the pandemic, right? People people mm -hmm. are actually now there's much more restrictions in terms of people like mm -hmm. traveling around. You know, the mm -hmm. um, I guess like people nowadays they um, yeah, it's a it's a very mixed feeling. You know, some people would love to have much more greater leeway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've talked with some of my Chinese instructors and just that that kind of pressure of um, you know, just not being able to move as as freely as what they would like. And just even I think in in the US a lot of people don't understand even traveling between cities, there's a lot of restrictions in China if you go from one city to another city and that sort of thing. Right, right. That's certainly not you know, the key character we're going to talk about, uh, Zhuangzi, uh, uh, you know, I don't think he will uh, approve that, right? He would advocate for 
more of a xiaoyao, like a freedom kind of uh, uh, lifestyle. Yeah. So we're we're talking today about the magic and the mundane, and really what we're talking about is is trying to shift our perspective to kind of come out of our habituated way of looking at things, our our way of um, just being, we might say, like stuck in a rut or um, kind of just going through our routines mm -hmm. and, and that kind of thing. And one of the key figures from Taoism who we haven't really talked about yet, but who is really good about writing about ways for us to bring kind of more magic and by magic i mean just you know bringing a quality to life where life comes alive where there's this liveliness to it where it feels like there's an energy to it of possibility of newness mm -hmm. and um and and his name is is Zhuangzi, and he came after Lao Tzu, and and i'm wondering if if maybe before we get started talking about some of his ideas and some of his um, thoughts, if if you would be willing to share with us, David, just anything that you understand about the time that Zhuangzi lived in versus the time that Lao Tzu lived in, and and maybe just some kind of differences in in their way of writing and their way of thinking, and and also how they're complementary. Like why why does Zhuangzi add to the Taoist way of thinking and 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 how does he kind of fit in to that? Sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> Zhuangzi lived in around uh, the fourth century BC. Uh, in the Chinese in Chinese history it's called the Warring States. It's approximately, you know, between the Warring States period, you know, approximately like was between 475 BC to 221 BC. Uh, 221 BC was the time when, you know, uh, the Emperor Qing united, uh, you know, the, the 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 kingdom and created a big empire. But before that. During the uh, Warring uh, States period, there are about like seven major kingdoms at that time, you know, fighting together. They build alliances. It was really, a, you know, a tumultuous time, um, you know, which was divided and, you know, like a chaotic time. So uh, Zhuangzi living that period of time. And uh, we can imagine that, um, you know, he saw lots of conflicts, you know, you know, wars, especially large scale wars, because at that time, because of the, uh, there's also tremendous technological advancements, especially the, you know, the, the iron, you know, from bronze to iron, mm -hmm. and also the, you know, the old war warfare was waged, you know, using chariots. And nowadays it's lo lots of like uh, infantry, you know, with the crossbows and um, more people got involved in mm -hmm. the warfare. So that was the time period. Mm, 
just got a, a a lot more violent and bloody it sounds like yeah 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 comparing with you know the time you know as we know um you know even though there's some speculation that uh um laozi uh you know like people um learn about laozi's uh background like laozi's like uh you know his uh historical background from a book called the you know like in the han dynasty like a guy who wrote a whole history like historical records sima qian mentioned laozi and zhuangzi but historians and this you know sometimes they debated in terms of you know for, especially for laozi you know whether he was like a mythical guy or mm-hmm. he really like was a real person people were more certain about zhuangzi than laozi but Laozi, as you said earlier, lived in a time period earlier. Uh, it's called the spring and autumn period. It's uh, it's just like, um, you know, like uh, around the sixth century BC. Hmm. You know, uh, so he, he Laozi lived almost at the same time as Confucius, and there was story like Confucius meeting with Laozi to yeah. uh, consult him on you know certain you know rituals and things because Laozi was an official, was an official in the imperial archive. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so it's uh, both both figures, Laozi and Zhuangzi are quite interesting in the sense that they lived in that kind of a time of tra- transformation, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how would you describe kind of uh, Zhuangzi's tone or personality compared to Laozi. Laozi, okay. Well, Zhuangzi according to the to the his, uh, you know historians I mentioned like Sima Qian was a minor official. He he was like a very, you know, it's almost like a grassroots like uh you know in a in a, in a state called Song, state of Song and there was a city called uh, Meng. So he was born there and he was an official there. Uh, so from their, you know, job perspective, I would imagine that, um, you know, like Laozi was m- much more like a higher level is having access to a lot of the, uh, you know, imperial records. Hmm. Um, and the Zhuangzi have access to a lot of the literature. So they, they, in, in other words, they, there's a saying where you stand is, you know, where you sit determines what, where you stand. So mm. you could see from some of that uh, between these two people, their views. Mm-hmm. I would say Laozi was um, still contemplating the role of a ruler, how that Shengren, that sage king mm. or philosophical king, uh, you know, really like bring peace uh, to the to the to the to the to the land. While Zhuangzi is more from a perspective of an ordinary individual in times of war and and uh, massive changes. So they look at things uh, differently, but while they all share, they both share uh, 
you know, this notion of living in accordance to Tao. Mm. That's the common part. But in terms of style, in terms of, I would say, you know, the emphasis, uh, there's quite difference, uh, quite a difference. Hmm. And what are some of those differences? Um, for example, Zhuangzi is more radical in the sense of like uh, looking at the world and, you know, really like it's not to want to be part of it. You know, an interesting story mm -hmm. was uh, you know, at that, you know, at the, at, there's a state called Chu, the king mm -hmm. way of Chu, you know, heard about the Zhuangzi's like talent. So he sent messengers with large gifts to bring him to his court and promising that he would make them, you know, make him a, a, a you know, a key official. But Zhuangzi was like, you know, laughed and said to them, you know, I, you know, I quote, you know, a thousand ounces of silver were a great gain to me, and to be a high noble and minister is most honorable position. But I don't want, want to do it. The reason is, if you look at the the ox, you know, to be used as a sacrificial uh, sacrifice, so you carefully, you know, feed it for several years and robe it with, you know, all the nice clothing. But eventually, you know, the the, the 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 ox wanted to to just live his own life. But he wasn't, you know, he he didn't he wasn't able to get to do so. So he will say, I would rather, you know, to live in the in the midst of a very filthy ditch like a turtle, as opposed to subject myself to the all the rules and restriction of the court. Mm. That's what he how he saw. You know, like mm -hmm. the world, he want to. He doesn't want to be part of it at all. While I would say Laozi, he eventually left left the empire too, right? With uh, you know going to to the west, but I think throughout he wanted to to be a, a kind of a, to advise the ruler, you know how to how to use the principle of Tao to govern the country. Yeah, it's a pretty big difference, and and I know the this concept of I'm I'm thinking of two concepts that are similar, but they feel quite different in the way that you're describing. So, Lao Tzu talked about Wu Wei, yeah, and, and and doing actions that aren't contrived. It's kind of this minimalist action, like just just do what's necessary and nothing more. But Zhuangzi talked a lot about uselessness and being useless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's there's a similarity there, but they're quite different because Zhuangzi's is definitely a lot more like just being completely left alone, where Lao Tzu was still talking about, yeah, you can be a sage leader and help the people, but do it by kind of not interfering where Zhuangzi feels a lot more like, yeah, I want to be like this turtle playing in the mud and just left uh, left alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, among the Chinese scholars studying both Laozi and Zhuangzi, 
indeed, you know, as you said, uh, you know, Laozi seemed to be a, a more of a minimalist, but his strategy, mm-hmm. he still wants to get things accomplished. Yeah. But he felt that the most effective way of accomplish everything is trying not to interfere with natural mm-hmm. course of things. Mm-hmm. But eventually he wanted to, to do something about the mm-hmm. world. Well, you know, Laozi, uh, well, Zhuangzi is, you know, is pretty, I would say, alienated, uh, pretty like fed up with the world and uh, really mm-hmm. like disillusioned with the, the human society, with it's all a lot of its rules and hypocrisy and everything. Which to me feels a lot more like the, the state that we're in today where people, people have kind of, they've given up on, and I'm talking mainly about in America where people have kind of given up on politicians. They've kind of given up on Mm -hmm. political parties. It really just seems like it's the real extremists that are now kind of running both political parties. And most people are just, they, they don't buy into any of, they feel like there's all these extreme beliefs and you've got to like, talk a certain way and act a certain way. And it's all very much like a prison to try to stay in the good favor of that party. Just like on the Republican side, if you step out of line, like Liz Cheney and Mm -hmm. the other people who, you know, called out the really abhorrent things that happened. And then on the Democratic side, the same thing. If, if, If you're not completely doing you know, following all the rules, there's, you know, a, a lot of a- anger and, and negativity. And so it feels very similar to, to what's going on today where um, people have just, they're, they're kind of fed up with all the, the rules and, and restrictions, especially around COVID and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think to some extent it's uh, like in, in China too, you know, you've probably heard uh, recently the phrase uh, lying lying flat, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a drones, you know, although drones mm-hmm. said, uh, mm-hmm. I would rather like stay in the muddy in the muddy water, right? <laughs> and play yeah. there. And uh, some of the young kids uh, in China, they say, I was just lying down, you know, I do not mm-hmm. want to cooperate with the big capitalist, you know, the, the bosses who exploited me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think yeah, I think it really like re- rep- reflects the. You know, more the more I read drones, the more uh, nowadays, the more I feel like there's like a resonance there. You know, I can resonate with what he's saying, and also his perspective is very kind of liberating, helping me uh, see beyond many things. Hmm. And so. How does that happen? Like, what are some of the ideas from Zhuangzi that you think? I mean, he he he's got a lot, but there I know in his books there's there's kind of some sections that have become a lot more popular than others. Maybe what are some of the ones that that you think would be important to share? Yeah, to help yeah. Um, in that spirit of seeing the magic in the mundane, like seeing beyond the mundane to yeah some yeah. other perspectives. Yeah, I'll just name a few that uh, came, uh, you know, uh, that I, that really resonated more strongly with me. 
Uh, why is the notion of uh, transformation, uh, meaning that, you know, things are constantly like evolving and changing. If we get stuck in the just one face of it and thought this is really bad, uh, that we can get trapped in that kind of view. Uh, you know, I, I would like to uh, maybe share, you know, one quote from one of his chapters, which is quite interesting, I, I feel, about life and death. He said, mm -hmm. life is the follower of death, and death is the predecessor of life. But who knows the arranger, the, meaning the arranger between these two? like two, mm -hmm. two, 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 two stages. So the mm -hmm. life is due to the collecting of the breath. When that is collected, there's life. When it is dispersed, there's death. Since death and life thus attend on each other, why should I count either of them an evil? So then from there, he's, he says something is even very interesting and I think relevant to what we're saying here. He said, therefore, all things, all things go through one and the same experience. Life is accounted beautiful because it is spirit-like and wonderful. And death is accounted ugly because it's so, you know, decaying and rotting and uh, stinks. But uh, what really stinks and rotting is transformed again into the spirit-like and wonderful, and the spirit-like and wonderful is transformed again into what stinks and what's rotting. Hence, it is said, all under the sky, there's one breath of life, and therefore the sages prize that unity. Mm -hmm. So what's being described here is like, you know, things, you know, we tend to kind of uh, polarize things and say, oh, this is good and this is evil, this is bad and this is good. But it's all in the one. So um, that perspectives give us, you know, some sense of oneness and unity and also a dynamic view of things. It's all changing. You know, something that looks bad today may turn into something good. Yeah, and 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 vice versa. The the thing that we that we hold in the most esteem and feel is so important, we might find that it it wasn't actually going to be there for a long time, and and that maybe we didn't need it as much as what we thought we did, and that it'll right, be replaced right. by something else. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's why I feel part of the reasons why magic is lost nowadays is that we are too much in our heads. You know, mm -hmm. if we, we need to get out of our heads and uh, look at things around us, look at other people from a new perspective. And mm -hmm. sometimes even go to an extreme, like look at the world from a butterfly's perspective. Mm. And, and Zhuangzi has that beautiful that's probably his most famous one. Would you maybe want to share his butterfly um, piece and, and we can talk about it a little bit? 
Yeah, yeah. I think the gist of the story is he 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 fell asleep, and in his dream, you know, he saw that butterfly, and、uh, he was like wondering whether, you know, he was uh, uh, he was Zhuangzi dreaming of the butterfly, of the butterfly dreaming like as a Zhuangzi. So there's like a, that, you know, kind of distinction there. Yeah, and and while I think a lot of people. Would say, oh, well, I know the difference between being asleep and being awake. the The reality is, is that even looking at this whole life, we don't know what's kind of behind the curtain. There's been times where I've thought, oh, well, what if I die, and at that moment, I I realize, like, oh, I was actually some other person who maybe was playing. A video game or some simulation, and that whole simulation was like, "Oh, you can go and simulate what it's like to live another person's life." And while you're in there, it feels like it's a full lifespan, but in the real life, maybe only you know a couple hours went by. Like we we really don't know if if this is the real life or the dream. We don't know. Yes, exactly. That's why I feel like. Drones is so liberating. His view is so liberating because he is trying to take us out of that,、uh, you know, box of the human conception,、mm-hmm. like perception, right? And、uh, look at looking at things from almost like unlimited perspectives.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and while even though some of his.、Um... Sayings can feel a little nihilistic. There's like a playfulness to it. Just like he 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 talks a lot about crooked trees.、Mm-hmm. All these sayings about you know, look at that big tree up there and how it's all knotted and why why is it so big and so old when all the other trees have been cut down?、Mm. And of course, he explains that. It's because that tree is useless. If if it wasn't all twisted up and knotted up, uh, uh, someone would have cut it down to turn it into planks, and and getting that straight wood is impossible from that kind of tree. And so he he's he's really talking about how being useless makes you free, and how having talent and intelligence. Can create this prison, and and while that can feel a little frustrating in our society, that says like you should aim for the prison, right? Like it's like you should aim for status and to be really useful and intelligent. And but I think Zhuangzi makes a good point. What can can you talk yeah, from your perspective? Yeah, on yeah,、that? yeah. In fact, that metaphor was so. Um, I think so vivid and interesting. Actually, you could also relate that to the real historical examples、uh, during that、uh, that period, the Warring States.、Uh, you know, all these states are trying to be to dominate, right? So they try to get their act together and try to、um, go through reform. So in one of the one of the seven states, Qing, which one which 
ultimately really like, like became the build that empire, the Qing empire uh, uh, during like, uh, you know, the year like uh, 221, you know, BC, um, mm -hmm. there was a reformer who was really talented. He, uh, you know, helped the king introduce a lot of the really like, uh, really like fun, you know, very dramatic, uh, dr uh, you know, dramatic changes that really like, uh, I would say, hurt the interest of the, you know, really like challenged the vested interest. Mm. So he, but he was like measures were so harsh that it was like effective at one time, but later on, uh, you know, another king, the son of the king, like uh, succeeded and uh, and uh, so he was like pushed away and he got he got i think somebody killed him so mm. that is the perfect example to uh, Zhuangzi that you know a talented person like one day you can be very um you know you're at the you know at the very top but the next day you became the victim of your own you know tra your own tra political traps so mm -hmm. So those there are so many examples like like uh, you know very successful people and then became you know like uh, uh, you know other people conspired against that person and it's, the same thing happened to the country. So that's why that notion of uselessness actually helps you um, uh, to be to be safe in that kind of environment. And maybe even in a, in a more um, common situation in in the workplace, we all we all have encountered. Mm -hmm. There's maybe a team that we depend upon to get our work done. Yeah, and we might encounter where there's one person on that team who's very competent. Yeah, you learn you learn they're the competent, intelligent person who kind of knows how to get stuff done and what to do yeah. and nobody else on the team really is very competent or knows how to do anything. Right. And so what inevitably happens is everybody goes to that, that person for everything. They go to them to ask anytime they need something done, they just ignore the rest of the team and go to that one person. Yeah. And so of course they're always overworked, overburdened, have way too much work to do. And the other people are just kind of like hanging out, collecting a paycheck and living a kind of a much freer life. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So those are the kind of examples like in the workplace. Uh, that's why uh, I think drones also talked about way is the um, how sometimes, you know, these things happen to a person because of their own making. Do you agree? Like mm. if they, uh, a lot of times, if you watch their behavior, because I work with, uh, you know, people like that in my executive coaching uh, role, um, I think one of the things, you know, I looked very closely at, you know, why certain people uh, have a hard time like letting go, like delegating. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot, oftentimes, uh, you know, they would say, they will tell you, oh, the people who work for me, they are not 
they are still along the learning curve. They are not mm -hmm. capable yet. Mm -hmm. uh, they never really like question about why it's hard to let go themselves. Uh, you know, for you know a combination of reasons and some reasons like you know, first of all, they always have a fixed perspective. You know, talking about shifting perspective. If they are stuck in the mindset of you know, I know the highest standard, right? I know what a good job looks like. It's very hard for that person to kind of let go, let other people, you know, try it out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because no matter what the other people do, it's not up to their standard. So, yep, encounter that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, you know, can be part of it. The other part of it is, they don't want to because they are the leader, so they don't want to be blamed if some mistake have happened. So that mm -hmm. also makes it difficult. So that means that they themselves are obsessed with some kind of perfection in the eye of their own uh, boss. So mm -hmm. anybody around them, if they make makes mistake, which understandably will reflect poorly on them, but they are so stuck with that that can block their, uh, you know, delegation. Yeah. And that's starting to make me think a little bit of, of how, I mean, Zhuangzi really talks about how things kind of have their own nature and even, even people kind of have their own, own nature. And he uses a lot of comparisons of like, you know, the, the tiny bird who just eats right. the scraps when it sees like the giant bird flying, yes, you know, it, it's like this mythical bird al almost, but just like this powerful mythical bird flying overhead. Yes. It'll start like screeching and screaming at it. Yes. Not really recognizing that that, that bird has a completely different nature. It, it's not interested in your scraps. It has a completely different perspective on, the world on its life, what its needs are. And I think that's something that also gets lost in our society. Can you talk about that a little bit? How recognizing that we don't have to, not everybody sees things the way that we see things and how our own unique perspective can be challenged by appreciating that e each kind of creature looks at the world a little differently. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I think that's what uh, a lot of companies are wrestling with, because on the one hand, they want to build efficiency. Uh, efficiency usually, as you know, as defined in the business world, means like standardization and streamlining the process. Uh, it's almost mm -hmm. like an assembly line to a great extent. So mm -hmm. that requires people behave, think, maybe really alike, right? So yeah. that's part of it. But also there's another part of it is nowadays our economy, the businesses really like want to have more innovation, creativity, which <laughs> comes you know, ironically from, you know, being different, right? So those two things you see like uh, really like uh, in conflicts 
in companies. You see, you hear a lot of mixed messages. You know, I think nowadays it's really popular to say, oh, bring your total selves to the workplace and be authentic. But that at the same time, you know, people are frustrated that, you know, that may go too far and then mm -hmm. that may sacrifice productivity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, so, that's, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's kind of, um, I guess we haven't figured out yet, you know, from all that I can see, you know, well, and isn't that just kind of the nature, like the nature of these kind of businesses? Like they, they aren't going to figure it out because it's not in their nature to figure it out. Uh, you're right. Yes, yes, to 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 a great extent, because if I would imagine, if your ultimate goal is to maximize your productivity or shareholder returns, you probably have a low tolerance of individuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unless your business really like is competing truly on innovation. Mm -hmm. Which tends to be the domain of more startups entrepreneurial and endeavors where yeah that actually is their nature is yeah. to try new things yeah because for the bigger ones i mean pragmatically speaking meaning you're big you mean you you have a lot of employees to mm -hmm. feed right you have yeah. to <laughs> not mm -hmm. only satisfy the shareholders you know, all these people need to, you know, their livelihood. So that means you have to always under the pressure to make things big and efficient. Mm -hmm. While you are big and efficient, you just like, you know, that becomes your focal point. Mm. It just cannot be as innovative and agile as those small startups. Yeah, they've kind of traded through their size. It, it's kind of like the the ox that's been fed and taken care of and gotten really big and strong, but it it, it gives up a lot of its freedom in, in the process. And it's the same with these companies. And and so exactly that yeah. magic kind of gets sucked out. Oh, you are so right. Yes. That's why now they, the alternative is to buy by these small stop startups. Mm -hmm. When they see small stop startups are so promising, uh, they they can acquire them. Mm -hmm. But then the 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 hard hard part is uh, how do you integrate these companies because mm -hmm. the cultures are different. Yeah. Once the small startups they they lose their sense of creativity and freedom and innovation once they worked under a big, you know, if you don't manage yeah, and yeah. integrate carefully. And I think that's where the, the ones that are successful at that do have Lao Tzu's sage leader approach where they recognize, hey, we need to do Wu Wei here and yeah. kind of keep ha hands off. Like maybe we'll purchase them and acquire them, 
but we'll let the same people keep running them the way that they were and maybe just do a couple of little things just to maybe integrate our businesses, kind of feed them, like feed sales between them and link between them, but largely leave them, leave them alone. Yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. Those are those are the ones that you know are doing pretty well. That's the the ideal situation you would see happen. But in the real world, there are lots of uh, failure stories that you know they are they projected that this mergers and acquisition will bring you know like it's like almost like mm-hmm. one plus one you know is bigger than you know, two or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. But many, many times it just doesn't happen because of the challenges of integration. So, so there's, there's still this, this kind of bigger idea out that we're, we're wanting to, to think about how, how maybe we can keep the magic in our own lives when, when Mm -hmm. there are many of us are working in, big corporations where maybe maybe we've already accepted the invitation to the palace right like we, <laughs> okay we, yeah. we were the turtle kicking in the mud but now we're like we're we're employed in, for the emperor and and walking the halls like how do we if we are in these big businesses or or maybe feeling like we're living kind of a routine life how can we use some of Juanza to to create more magic in our lives to to try to um have the kind of Taoist spirit that he does that's more playful that un, uncertain questions things doesn't kind of get caught up in the trappings of life right right the first thing i can think of is First of all, if we are in the system, meaning if we are part of these bigger organization, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Nine to five or, job. Yeah, out of yeah. necessity and you know practical needs. Uh, I don't think we can totally free ourselves uh, from mm-hmm. a lot of these mm-hmm. constraints. Uh, Having said that, I do think that there are some, you know, small things, habits, rituals that may help us, uh, you know, drive a little distance between our freedom and what the the big machine needs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, those small things maybe start from uh, like a some mindset change. Mm. Uh, meaning that we have to, well, first of all, I, I think sl- be like slowing down a little bit, hmm. I think it helps because mm-hmm. I see so many people like rushing around and busy. And when you talked about to them about these, like they, they complained a lot, but after they complain, they go back. Mm-hmm. to their work <laughs> and, and, and they complain i have no time to reflect and think so that is like almost like a perpetual uh, trap for people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think the people really need to kind of slow down and create 
some, you know, incrementally some white space in their life. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, it's all going to be like, we're going to be overwhelmed, you know, uh, by the lots of things around us, never ending. Because, you know, we thought, oh, once I get these things done, you know, I will be for free. I will be, I will be free. No, it's no. never going to be free. Nope. There's, uh, that's a saying I find myself saying a lot is that being an adult is really just having w one task after another to do. Just, there's always just one, it's just, you finish one thing and there's one, there's already something waiting for you to handle. Yeah. 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 So if that's the case, then, you know, I know that's a reality. We'll, I will have to, let's say eternally live until, you know, you know, I'm not on this earth. So that makes it more important to be more deliberate in terms of creating the white space in our mm -hmm. lives. So that's one thought I have. Um, the other thought is, um, you know, I think a lot of times, no matter what we do, including the, you know, this mundane thing, I actually, out of curiosity, I looked it up and saw where mm. that, uh, that word came from, you know, it's a obvious, you know, it's French. It means, you know, worldly, earthly, uh, mm -hmm. which has the uh, kind of which implying, I don't know, like ordinary, uh, dull, boring, sometimes the mundane routine, right? Mm -hmm. So essentially, you know, it's like not exciting, uneventful, those mm -hmm. kind of uh, con connotations. But I was wondering whether that comes that that perception itself is problematic. You know, we are trying to like mm -hmm. driving a like a more polarized view of okay, now I'm doing my work. Now this mm -hmm. is like the big machine. I'm like a, a cog of that big machine. That perception itself. It, you know, I, I it destroys the magic. Yeah. 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 Maybe there are like ways I'm not saying like, you know, you're trying to use your, um, uh, well, you do have to use your imagination. I'm not trying to say like you're fooling yourself into believing this piece of work is, um, is really like a ma magical, <laughs> you know, sometimes it is not right. It's not, it's not. But there is an element to it that can become uh, magical. Uh, for example, in the Zhuangzi story, there's this cook called Cook Ding, the butcher, right? Mm, yeah. Right? So, I mean, that kind of job is in the, uh, in the Chinese uh, society. You, you think that, you know, it's not something like a, a profession that, it's a profession that is probably not thought highly or dis it's, yeah. it's despised. It's not a high status job. There. Right, right. But think about that guy. That guy was able to, you know, experiment and, and discover, you know, certain patterns when he cut the meat, right? The, the, uh, mm -hmm. the, the, uh, 
how would you say the the um he it was like chopping up the ox right the the the, the, mm-hmm. the meat of the ox and trying to trying not to blunt blunt his knife right. by do it, finding do it so skillfully so skillfully so he turned into an art so can mm-hmm. we do something in our daily work like that i i think that is spot on i think that's just that that is the real secret which is we can't change these external things just like these big businesses now that are like the emperor's palaces that kind of trap so many people and we don't necessarily have freedom in those externals but what we do have control over like you're saying is ha- trying to have this mindset of an artist like the the butcher ding who instead of looking at his work as being this labor that he was trapped in he turned it into a game into something playful into something meaningful and he kind of perfected his his art to where he did this simple mundane task in a way that people couldn't believe like he that because he was unlike the other butchers and that's the opportunity that we all have yes that's it it, it, uh, that i agree with you i I think you know if you think about the uh zhongzi and uh and his influence on as you know like uh has a great influence on the buddhist buddhist like zen buddhism Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and in, in zen buddhism there's the this like state of uh enlightenment that you carry the water cut cut the wood isn't that a similar thing it is it's exactly it and 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 it's instead of rejecting it or being kind of acidic toward it you embrace it you see well what can i do to put it's up to me to to make that magic it's up to me to put that magic into whatever I'm doing. In other words, the magic comes from inside. From inside. It's not yeah. from the outside. It's almost nothing. Like before enlightenment and after enlightenment, nothing really yes. changes, right? You do yes. the same thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes I think about our world. You know, we are either like, a lot of times, because we are not able to make this kind of thing happen, then what we do, we tend to escape, and then we tend to fantasize. We're starting to chase, you know, the next vacation, the next great achievements. So it's all in our imagination. Um, in terms of, you know, we're trying to find the next stimulus, the, that sensory stimulus in our life to be entertained or something. And that moves away from the kind of the mundane. It's a very, um, I think it's a very kind of a tricky uh, situation because let's say we get those stimuluses, then very temporarily, you know, we get very, very high, right? But then it's over. It's not going to be like all the time. Then we get depressed going back to the mundane work. Mm-hmm. Then we're mm-hmm. kind of not really mindful or present with the work we do. 
then we're like dreaming about the next work. Mm -hmm. And and that's what actually wears us out. Yeah, yeah. Because it's almost like you're living in like two two kinds of world, right? You're you're, you're literally like in this world, but you are also like hoping for the next world, a magic world. Yes. Split, like there's a splitting. Mm -hmm. And that splitting, I think, takes a lot of energy. Yeah, because especially considering that magic world out there is never going to arrive. Yep, and then which brings like a disappointment and, you know, disillusionment. So like when I look at uh, uh, butcher ding or cook ding, I, the the word I can think of is something called maybe trained or structured spontaneity. We always mm -hmm. think about spontaneous, like being, I just like do what I please to do, right? Be spontaneous. Mm -hmm. But but what butcher ding um, uh, I think illustrates is something like you create a space or structure like you do day in and day out, you get better at that, right? And then you then from that routine or that structured, uh, you know, like uh, work day day in and day out, comes out that sense of freedom and spontaneity. Mm -hmm. I, I think mm -hmm. that is the true freedom as opposed to the imagined freedom sometimes. Hmm. Dig into that just a little bit more. Um, I think there is a almost like a false dichotomy between structure, discipline versus freedom, hmm. right? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if we use the mindset of Zhuangzi, I do not see them as like opposing, two opposing ends. Discipline, structure, regimen versus spontaneity. We bring that together. We create a like a you know a daily routine or a structured space for us to concentrate, to stay focused on, to immerse ourselves deeply enough in it, and to find that channels in the meat, like the patterns, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. cooking started at first he probably would, was very frustrated like every one of us like say oh how come like this is like mm -hmm. takes a lot of energy right yeah but that gradually he find oh i see patterns maybe you know by cutting this way it's just easier i mean mm -hmm. isn't that the similar thing with a lot of our whatever task it is you know writing mm -hmm. you know like a writing a writing something or uh, fixing something or building something. If we just like, you know, like yearn to be like smart and intelligent and skillful mm -hmm. the first time, you know, that that's pretty much that's unrealistic. Mm -hmm. But if we are patient enough to kind of start to get ourselves situated in that situation, in that work, and just be with it. Are we going to notice something? Maybe mm -hmm. more and more we haven't really noticed. And once mm -hmm. we notice that, that kind of Tao, right? At at work, Tao kind of Tao in mm -hmm. action, 
then we go flow, we, we flow with it. Well, that, that, I think that's the kind of the real free, freedom we can. I mean, that's just an example of the daily things. Mm-hmm. Same thing about how we live in this world, how we deal with other people or work mm-hmm. situations. Yeah, I, I think that's beautifully put, looking, looking for patterns, no, noticing. Noticing. We've talked about noticing, looking for small things, and then those small things become bigger patterns. And then before we know it, we're noticing life in a whole new way and also recognizing that that's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to open up that space for the magic to come out of us and, and connect it with the magic that is in life and Tao, if, if we're willing to. Yeah. Yeah. I think I feel like opening up ourselves to it kind of be uh, open and, and patient about it because it won't happen like on day one. It's, it's like a gradual, right? If we are staying with it, stay open with it, then Tao will be, kind of revealing itself Hmm. to us. Well, David, I think that's a a great place for us to to stop for today and leave our listeners with with what you just said, that opening up to Tao and, and pay attention to when it's revealing itself to us. I appreciate our discussion today. I, I appreciate our listeners. And just a reminder, you can find us on walkingthetimelessway.com. And until next time, take care. Take care.